Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. Well, we have a special edition of the Sports Exchange, and I have uh, Louis Antio Weiss is with me. What's going on, Scott? And I have my mentor, Tony DeMarco, who uh, trained me when I was just a little bit of a pup. And Tony, let the audience know what a real tough uh, pup I was back in the day. You, you had a lot to learn, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I would say so, trying to... Uh, Go ahead and rip Joe Robbie, the former uh, owner of the Miami Dolphins, when I was told not to do that, and I understood your reason and why. But uh, one thing, a bit of advice you gave me going on early in the process was read up on some of the other writers in the sporting news. I did that, and then yeah, you edited right. my stories back then. And I think as time went on, I got the hang of this whole thing. So with that said, okay, Tony, let's uh, talk baseball, and we'll begin to uh, – uh, ask you for your observations on the now completed World Series. Nationals are world champions. I thought it was a great World Series to watch. Um, you know, be like a lot, of, a lot of other people when they uh, when the Astros picked up Granky. You know, I made I, I made a nice little future bet on them winning the World Series. It's, they did have the best the best team, the best roster, uh, and they almost got there. But uh, this Washington team just got on a roll in the playoffs, man. Everything just kind of fell their way. You know, they're losing the wild card game late. Knock Josh Hader around, win that one. You know, they're down to the Dodgers, come back, boom, boom, boom. They win that series. So yeah, they just got on. They just got on that roll, and they did have. You know, they had this. They had the elite starting pitching that that can that can win you those short series. Well, I mean, all, it all fell into place for them. It really did. It was, it was fun to watch. Fun to watch in a sense, Tony, because all uh, no home team won a game. First time ever that yeah, it's ever I, happened. You know, how crazy was that? That's just bizarre. It was, it was, a lot of it was, you know, a lot of these ex- results were unexpected, no doubt. But I think that's what made it fascinating to me. I mean, I yeah, I agree with you, Tony. I think it it, it was a very odd World Series. I mean, from the from the <laughs> from the outset, I genuinely thought it would be a top five World Series ever, and it certainly had moments that you could put in the annals of like World Series history as among the greats, but. I mean, at the same time, I was kind of shocked with the way it ended. I thought Hinch mismanaged his pitching staff in Game 7 of that series. I thought Greinke could have gotten through the seventh inning. Will Harris obviously gave up that big home run to Kendrick. And, you know, Garrett Cole probably will never pitch for the Astros again, not only because of their, you know, limitations with the way they kind of go about, you know, signing free agents the way the Patriots do in the NFL, but... He just didn't get a pitch in that game, and I feel like more than anything, if you wanted that season to end with the Astros on top, I feel like it should have been with Garrett Cole on the mound. He had been your best pitcher all season other than Verlander. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I totally agree with that. He, he had to come into that game. I know he's never come into the middle of an inning, yada, yada. It's game seven of the World Series. So, you know, and yeah. he was warm. It wasn't a quite He had warmed up. Even at the very least, he comes into the, into the eighth inning. I know they're losing three to two, but so what? Just hold them, hold them at three to two, and then take your chances to come back with your uh, with your great offense. So yeah, he had to be in that game. 
just had to be. Yeah, and, and he's, gone. he's not. He's not going back there. Uh, he won't. And it's funny. I saw a report come out today where Stanton wants the Yankees to step up and sign Strasburg and Cole. Now that both are free agents, Strasburg obviously just opted out of the final four years and hundred million dollars well, of his contract. Stanton would give up some of his money. They could do it. Yeah, he, he right. can. Yeah, restructure his contract. I agree with you, right. but I just think the Yankees would. It would behoove them to do that because at the same time they still owe Ellsbury another year. Tanaka's contract is still a thing. Stanton, and then you would have to add Cole and you know right. Strasburg. That Strasburg on an emotional appeal is going to get 175 million dollars. It seems like, but he's 31 years old and he had Tommy John surgery nine years ago. I mean, I expect him to be healthy, though he's only had two seasons of 200 or more innings pitched, which is always a concern. But, I mean, the, if you're going to give big money to a starting pitcher, and they're both going to get it, they both deserve it, I'm more comfortable with Cole getting that. But at the same time, I yeah, think Cole's going to wind up with the Angels. I just think the fit is natural, given he grew up, you know, five minutes from that stadium, and, you know, he was a Southern California kid. It does. That does fit, but, you know. Dodgers fit too, so yeah, you know, it's going to be a huge bidding war. You'll uh, get probably something like eight years and thirty, thirty between thirty and thirty-five million a year. So do the math, two seventy-five maybe, somewhere in that range. It'll be the biggest contract ever for a pitcher. Strasburg will get less; he's older. Uh, you know, in Strasburg, you know, I think they have a chance to keep him. And the Padres have a shot at him, and there aren't many places that he wants to go. I don't think he's very low key. I don't. I don't see him as a New York guy, uh, especially under these circumstances, where he'd be he'd be coming in, and they'd be expected to win the World Series. I'm not. I'm not sure he wants those kind of expectations. So th- I think Nationals actually have a chance at him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to. Ch- things unfold. They just. They, they usually get crazy. I'm going to chime in on that, too. I think you're right. I think the Nationals stand a good chance to retain him. The only team that I could see going after him, and you just said it yourself, Tony, is uh, San Diego Padres. Yeah, he's from there. Right, that's, exactly. That's the connection. And they, you know, they, they, need, they need him. They need that guy right. to, to try to contend. Same with the Angels, and that's why they're, you know, that's why they're linked with Cole. And so are the Yankees, really. So, you know, the, so, you, know you, you can never discount how much money they're going to throw out there. So right. we'll see how it plays out. So it won't play out until like February, though. So yeah, I wouldn't get too excited about the hot stove yet. These right. things take seem to take longer and longer as the years go on. They, you know, they they drag them into March now. Even it's crazy. I get the appeal of Strasburg to San Diego. Yeah, he did go to San Diego State and Plander Tony Gwynn, and he is from that area. But you also need to consider this: San Diego, not until three years ago. Had they, they had never given $100 million to a player. And we need to understand this. For 2019, they committed $75 million to three players, and they still have three years of Will Myers left for $50-plus million. You have nine years of Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, whose contract has been a total disaster so far. So, I, I mean, realistic. Realistically, they'd be smart, and they have one of the best farm systems in the majors. Keith Law, who writes for ESPN, has actually ranked them as the best farm system in the majors for a couple of years in a row now. They would just be smart to really trade some of that prospect depth to get a starting pitcher who's nearing free agency rather than having to spend that much money on one. I just don't think it really makes sense to bring Strasburg in because they, he wouldn't be the, the difference in that team. All right. Let, let's go back to something and, that I, I... Well, that's true. But, you know, the, even the owner himself said heads are going to roll if we don't win next year. Right. So, you know, I could see him spending money on, on an ace pitcher. We'll yeah. see. You 
I agree. I, Whether I, it's smart or not, you know, you're right financially. Everything you said is, was right on the money. But you know, these owners, they can afford it, or else they wouldn't do it. Right. So uh, we'll see what they do. Let's stay with the <laughs> Nationals franchise for a moment, okay? You and I are old enough to understand it, but the franchise really should have had won two titles since the 1994 strike ruined baseball in Montreal. There are an awful lot of good players on that team, Tony. I know them and the Yankees had the two best records in baseball before the strike killed that situation. Right. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series, but, you know, they did have the best record. It was a great team. And, you know, right after that, uh, Larry Walker signed with the Rockies, and I was a Rockies beat writer then. And Walker never he, – he really uh, – Never, he always complained about that. He, he really never got over the fact that you know they got robbed of going to the playoffs that year. He was, he was just always, you know, just uh, that that just that just uh, got under his skin always. You know, all all through the years that he was in Colorado and then in St. Louis too as well. But it, that, that just uh, that always uh, that always bothered him. Okay, and, and I've heard Felipe Alou talk about that too. Yeah, they were all really frustrated by, by that. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Rays possibly playing half their games in Montreal. I know you and I both think it's ludicrous, but since it's out there. Yeah, it's totally. The, league, the union's not going to let that happen, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll go, go a minute on it if you want. Yeah, I think I, I could not see uh, both places building a stadium to uh, accommodate the franchise. It's not like the Kansas City-Omaha Kings back in the NBA many years ago. <laughs> Don't forget the yeah, Philadelphia Eagles and the, Steag- and the Steelers. Kansas City and Omaha—that's not a big deal. No, I know. You're talking about a couple thousand miles. You're two different countries. How, how are these players? Where are they supposed to get houses in both places? You know, right. The, yeah, the union would just yeah. It's, I just I can't see that one. Uh, me either. Okay, we'll leave it at that. But now, meanwhile, Bryce Harper has had to eat humble pie. Uh, you happy with that? I I actually am. The guy wanted to leave Washington because he didn't think he could win there. But meanwhile, the Nationals have a ring. And he uh, is without that piece of jewelry. Uh, I'm, I'm not a Harper hater. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I know he's a, he's flashy, he's a little bit showy player, but you know, so are, that's just kind of the generation, right? And I, I accept that he's actually. I don't want to say totally. You know, he's he's kind of humble. I, I don't think he's a big showboat like some people do. Uh, again, it's a business decision. He's he's a Boris guy. They go for the money, right? So uh, yeah, it's I, I don't want to. Yeah, you know, I'm not, not going to go to the point where it's you know I'm happy that he didn't win or anything. His teammates liked him, so I'll just leave it at that. That's fine. Okay, Tony, I wanted to add on that real quick because, like you, I don't necessarily dislike Harper either. I just think a lot of the expectations thrust upon him as a 16 year old when he was hitting 500 foot home runs in Tropicana Field as a high schooler and having one of the best, you know, college baseball seasons we've ever seen at 17 and at a JUCO kind of makes a lot of what is expected of him unrealistic. Yep. This idea that he had a bad first season in Philly is arbitrary because I mean, if you want to use the like metrics like war, he was a four win player. That's an all-star. He, he drew a hundred walks, you know, he hit 30 plus home runs. If you want to use, appeal to traditional metrics, I don't really understand the hate for him. I just think the the money yeah. is obviously one thing that blinds the image of the player that we see on the field. Well, I, I tell you what, I always. I I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I just I think, you know, he's compared to 
Mike Trout. It's like it's, he's supposed to be that good, and maybe he's not quite that good. But Trout's fantastic. He, Trout is a generational player. You know, I think the expectations were are a little bit too large, and I don't blame the Phillies' season on him. He had, he had a great season, I think. Is it? There were the Phillies had a lot of other issues. But Bryce Harper was not one of them. If you ask me. Yeah, and let me elaborate on that thought a little bit too, because you know he left Washington, didn't get the ring. But I've always loved his hard-nosed style of play, the way he right. uh, runs after balls or whether he, he runs into hard. a wall. He's a hard-nosed player. And I think, to Bryce's credit, he's one of those guys that could actually have played in the generation before this because he's that hard-nosed and he would appreciate be appreciated on any era. So I'm not totally yep. going ahead and not beating him up that badly. I'm just saying, in my opinion, the Nationals got the ring before he did. Does he does it even out later than he gets one? I don't know. I think the hiring of Joe Girardi will help because you have an excellent coach that's won a ring that's done a lot of winning. But it is ironic that the Nationals got the ring before Bryce did. We'll see how it plays out yeah. later. Well, you got to keep in mind that the, the thirty million that the Nationals saved on him, they put into Corbin and Howie Kendrick and you know some other key parts that that made their team better. And they had Soto and, and Robles as young outfielders who are emerging. So, you know, it, these things happen. Yeah, I mean... And I think the Nationals played it, you know, they played it well. They, you know, he, he could have stayed. They made him a good offer. But when he decided to go elsewhere, they used that money really wisely. Mike Rizzo deserves, he deserves a lot of credit. And to your point, Scott, you know, I love the fact that Harper is hard-nosed, but if you look at the first three years of his career, he missed a few game, uh, you know, an extended amount of time due to injury. 2015 is like the pedestal that we've kind of set for him because if you look at that, even he was at that point in 2015, Bryce Harper was for the one year he was the best player in baseball. He won the MVP, but he t- he had a 198 OPS plus. If you're nearing 200 for OPS plus, that means you're 100 percent better by metrics than any other average player in the league. But he toned down that hard nosed style of play. And I think that is really interesting. It just kind of showed, like, he'll he'll probably never get to that ceiling again because that's just, you know, the bar that he set for himself. But at the same time, you know, tampering down that style of play, saw him have the best season of his career. So with yeah, that? two things on that is, you know, he, uh, I think he was, he was playing too hard. And that's, you know, you can get hurt that way. I think so he kind of tempered it, dialed it back a little bit. Which in a, in, a, in in a, in, a, in one way that's kind of smart because he he's you know he stayed on the field a lot this year um, and yeah that that year was through the you know just through the roof off the charts it, I'm not sure that he will ever get back to that because he's pitched differently now and you know he's viewed differently because of that year but that was that was an incredible year no doubt so so let's talk about the Nationals still be a Hall of Famer yes. What? Oh yeah, matter, absolutely. You know, I agree with you. Where he is, what team he's on? He didn't win the World Series this year. He's still on a Hall of Fame track for me. Yeah, and he's only just turning twenty-seven, so exactly. he's got plenty of time. His best years are coming. Maybe not, maybe not to that MVP level, but he's going to put together five or six years here. You know, till he gets to his thirty-three, thirty-four, and you know, they're they're going to these are going to be some huge years. Philly's a better place to hit than Washington, too. So. That, that is going to play out over, over time, probably. All right, let's talk about the Washington Nationals. You ta- you alluded to it moments ago about spending their money wisely. So with that said, okay, are they going to spend their wisely enough where they're able to retain some key free agents now? 
good question. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I, don't right. know the, I don't know Mr. Lerner, and uh, you know, I think Mike Rizzo is an excellent old school GM who, you know, he's, he's old school, but he, he, uh, he, you know, they he mixes in analytics too, and uh, we'll see which way they go. I think you know, obviously Strasburg is, is the big question, and I, I think they have a good shot at him. I really do. And if they don't, maybe you know they'll uh, they'll sign one of the lesser free agent pitchers who are you know there's some pretty good pitchers out there beyond Strasburg and Cole, not 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 at that level, but. You know, as as he did last year. Instead of Harper, they go. They gave the extra year to Corbin, and they got him away from the Yankees and and uh, Howie Kendrick, uh, Suzuki. You know, they made some nice little uh, signings that really helped not only on the field but also like in their clubhouse. They had great chemistry too. We'll stay. We'll stay on the Strasburg thing one more time because I know there was an inning shutdown six years ago in 2012. You know, I have never seen anybody get shut down with a team in contention, but obviously the Nationals knew a lot more than what we thought that they did when they made that daring move to protect them because we saw it pay dividends this year. But what are your thoughts about that shutdown in 2012? I would have pitched them, but, you know, that's me. <laughs> I, I just think when you're that close, you got to take a shot at it. It's like, you know, the, the Astros are always going to regret not pitching Cole in that game seven. I don't care what he, what he says publicly. That was a mistake, and Cole had to be in that game. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. Just because, I mean, they did lose a division, the divisional round that season to the Giants, I believe. But at the same time, like, you can't really. I mean, that narrative is it's gone now. It doesn't exist anymore, given the fact that they won the World Series, and that's really all you can ask for. But look at what Madison Bumgarner did in 2014. Sure, he had more years in the league at that point, and he wasn't coming off surgery. But he threw fifty plus postseason innings, and he's continuing to hold up just fine. So he's I, fine. He, he's kind of the outlier. I, I will say that, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they didn't think they were going to go that far that year anyway. So they said, "Well, we'll just shut him down." You know, they probably weren't going to win the World Series that year anyway. So, uh, but still, when you get there, one more start, seven more, seven more innings, six more innings. I don't think that was going to kill the kid. Six foot four, he's two hundred and forty pounds. I know, I know he was coming off surgery. But he's a horse. I think he could have pitched in a, in a playoff game, but like I said, maybe they didn't think they were gonna. They had the, the team to win it all anyway. So you know, we don't know all the factors in there. But yeah, like you like you just said, Lewis. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a moot point now. Well, yeah, you and I came from a generation, Tony, where we saw guys with tons of complete games and whatever. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I saw. You know, we saw Mickey Lolich pitch, you know, three hundred and fifty innings every year. Right. So I'm just from a different era, you know. And, Me too. And, and I, I understand things change, and I'm not a I'm not a get off my lawn guy. I think I'm pretty progressive for for, for my age and for mm-hmm. been right. around the game as long. And uh, but yeah, it's one more start wasn't going to kill him, but it, you know, whatever. All right, well, we'll transition from the World Series to Lewis's favorite subject, Hall of Fame. And we might as well lead off because this guy did some leading off with Lou Whitaker. So uh, Lewis has been writing some pretty in-depth articles for the South Florida Tribune about Lou Whitaker. So I'm going to spin this thing to you two about Lou Whitaker's candidacy. And I'm sure Lewis has a few other names he might want to run by you since you're a Hall of Fame voter. Go ahead. All right, so before we get started, Tony, I know you're a Hall of Fame voter. And before we get into Whitaker, I want to know what your criteria consists of for picking a Hall of Fame number. How much emphasis do you put on numbers? Me and Scott had a heated debate about Barry Bonds that we'll probably touch on later in the show. But when you look at a player, 
I mean, the eye test is one thing, but don't you think the numbers are very crucial in telling the story of whether or not a guy belongs in Cooperstown? Yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, they're probably, I don't want to say 100%, but they're pretty pretty close to it. What else are you going by? I mean, you know, eye test is one thing. You know, you got to look at his, uh, his, his uh, numbers in, in his era. Mm-hmm. You know? Was he the best player in his era at his position? Or, you know, just you know, where he ranked in his era is, is a big part of it, definitely. His numbers are a lot different now than they used to be. Now, levels. now we'll talk. Um, we can talk Whitaker now. I mean, you know, I have added the metrics into it. Uh, they've they've been very helpful. You know, uh, people started. I remember going back a long time. This is you know several years back. I wasn't a Blylevin voter, and some sabermetrician guy wrote me and he showed me this. Uh, he showed me how Blylevin lost like twenty five one to nothing games. And he, there was like 50 of his losses in his career whereby we were his team scored zero or one run. You know, and it was a pitcher's era then. Uh, you know, it was a little more understandable than now, of course. But, uh, you know, the, some of those things, you know, they started opening your eyes. And you and you look at candidates, candidates different. There's been a great campaign for Walker lately, you know, from basically from Sabermetrics, uh, younger younger writers, uh who've jumped on his bandwagon based on his, you know, his, he doesn't have the huge counting numbers because he, he was hurt a bit and his, and his career was uh, a little shorter than some. And his, he didn't play, you know, really average like 130 games a year. But if you look at his uh, ratio, it is like, you know, his war and some of those other uh, runs created plus and those kind of numbers uh, where they're not counting numbers, but his, you know, he, he's right up there with anybody. So his candidacy is, is gained some steam, although I don't, I don't think he's going to get in, but I, I, I've been a voter for him all along too. So yeah, I have. I think all of us older voters, I'll say, my generation of voters, which would be like the Rosenthal's and Nightingales, and you know those kind of guys. Are, we all we all started around the same time, late '80s, and now we're like in our 50s and 60s, and so we've been voting for we've been voting for the last 20, 25 years. And everyone's everyone, I think, has blended in analytics as 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 we've all gotten to learn analytics. So, well, that, I, I think it's all part of it. I think that's interesting because that leads me into my hypothetical ballot. I know you probably won't give away yours now. And look, I know they say the limit is ten guys that you're allowed to vote for, but I have I have seven names here, and I want I'm going to run each one of them by you, and then I'll. Well, you don't have to vote for ten. That's, that's right. That's the max you can. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's a, there's been a few years recently where it was tough to leave somebody off, number eleven, you know. But you know, that's how it goes. So, so my my seven, yeah. I have Scott Rowland because I think defensively he's one of the best third basemen of all time. Also, seventy career WAR average for third baseman, I believe, is sixty eight. So he meets that criterion. I have Walker seventy two point seven WAR. Walker's actually accumulated 0.3 more war than Derek Jeter in almost a 1,000 less games. Also a number I like to use, war 162, where it takes every game over the course of a player's career and averages it out. Jeter, who's going to get in 100% unanimously, we know the postseason pedigree, pretty much has a full season's worth of body of work. Jeter's war 162 is 4.3, and I do have him on this list. Walker's is 5.9, and Walker, for um, number standpoint, he only averaged 117 games over the course of his career. Yep. But, I th- again, I think he did more than enough. Bonds, you know, 
he's a very controversial one, but I compared his numbers with Scott to Ken Griffey Jr.'s. Bond's numbers, 86 to 98, the first 13 seasons of his career, those are clean years. I mean, as far as suspicion goes, because 99 Ford, it's a big miss. It's a big cloud of, you know, I don't know. 99.9 war. Obviously, that's more than enough to get into the Hall of Fame if you're using that metric. Griffey Jr.'s entire career was 83.8 war, but we'll get to that, you know, later. Clemens I have because I just think the seven Cy Youngs, you know, I get the steroid speculation and training with the former New York City cop. I'm forgetting his name, but 139.2 war, he's in for me. Jeter, obviously, I mean, I don't think he's a good defender. I think he's, Rob Nyer pointed this out a decade ago. He's one of the worst defensive players in baseball history. His, like, 95 plus offensive war, but the defense was just so bad that it brought him all the way down to 72 total war. And then I have Kurt Schilling. Listen, we're not going to talk politics on this show, but I think Kurt Schilling, given his postseason pedigree, he's won three World Series. He has 79.5 war. That's far and above the average for Hall of Fame starters, 73-2. So he's done more than enough. He's got the 3,000 strikeouts. He doesn't have the 300 wins because early on playing for Frank Robinson in um, Baltimore, he didn't really get a chance to pitch on a regular basis, and it hindered his development a little bit. But I think, you know, those are my seven guys that I just genuinely think belong in the Hall of Fame. You know, feed off me and, you know, let's discuss this. Yeah, I think I vote. Well, I don't vote for Bonds and Clemens, but the other guys I do vote for. So I don't have any arguments on those guys. You know, Rollins, you know, he's kind of, they're kind of borderline. He's borderline, but I, I can see him getting in. He wasn't, he's in, well, yeah, up until now, now you see Arenado and Chapman, and I think those guys are right now. Arenado's better than Roland. He had more range and stuff, but uh, Roland, everything he got to was he were out. Yeah, he, he was yeah, in his time. He was. You know, well, I always go back to the book. Everyone is compared to Brooks Robinson, but you know, Roland was the, his generation's Brooks Robinson, definitely. And a far better offensive player. I mean, I know he's got three hundred. Yeah. Points plus home runs. Yeah. You know, Robinson outdoes him in war. I think it's like 78-4, but his career OPS plus is like 104. I think Scott Rowland's like 121 because he had some fantastic there years. It was a different era, though. No, guys, you know, it was just a different off. He played in the 60s, which is the pitching era of yeah. all time. And, mm-hmm. You know, so those numbers are they're just going to be less. It, that's why, it's, it, it, you know, I don't want to say apples and oranges, but, you know, you, gotta, you just got to take into account what era they played in and, you know, what were his numbers in his era. Right. No, I agree with you. That has to be a part of it. It just, it just does. <clears throat> now, Scott, I want Scott to chime in on this too. Well, and he's, I mean, he's the elephant in the room whenever it comes to Hall of Fame talk pretty much over the last decade, and it's Bonds. From my perspective, and I'll be brief, I think by offensive war, Barry Bonds is the greatest player in ba- offensive player in baseball history. He's slightly above Babe Ruth, but Ruth also played um, four different positions other than pitcher. He played a little first base in every outfield spot parts of his career, but obviously Bond's numbers that I listed before, they're Hall of Fame worthy regardless of like what you have to say about his personality and steroids, but just given like his 2004 season is one of the most ridiculous seasons ever. I think it's the best um, on-base percentage we've ever seen. It's one of the only season of a 600 on-base we've ever seen. The slug was near 900. The OPS was like 1,300, but he was intentionally walked Two, I think he was walked 232 times that year, and 110 times were intentional. Yeah. What I mean is it the steroid suspicion and the media personality? It's and, not a suspicion. It, it was a fact. Number one. Right. Right. So yes, that's what it is for me. Right. So I, I know that I don't Lewis. Care what he did, what, 
if or not, yeah, as far as, yeah, those are Hall of Fame numbers. That's not the question. It's right. the cheating. Right. That's what keeps him out in my mind. And I don't even, and, uh, you know, same with Clemens. Three of those Cy Youngs are pretty fraudulent. I agree. I can get behind that so claim. That's what it. That's what it is. That's what my objection is. I don't want to speak for the other guys who don't vote for him, but I, I, I would assume it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's I will. The fact be- that they disgraced the game and cheated the game, and what young writers don't understand is they didn't talk to the opponents of Bonds and Clemens, who knew those they were cheating and. Meanwhile, a, a lot of people, most, I would say, three-quarters of people weren't cheating. It wasn't, cheating wasn't totally rampant. Not everybody cheated. A lot of people did not cheat. So these guys put up their numbers while cheating against players who weren't cheating. That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, and, and you know what? You're right, Tony. That's why if I were a Hall of Famer, being the fact that you and I pretty much have covered a lot of baseball through the years, that would be the reason I'd shut down all three of these guys, too. I know Lewis talked about a number with Bonds when he was with the Pirates, and he racked up pretty good numbers, which I think would qualify as Hall of Fame numbers, but they look at the whole right. body of work. So I'm not. He already the, was a Hall of Famer before he started cheating. I, right. I agree with that statement. Yeah, I agree, too. But the bottom line is, is baseball is judged by the entire body of work, not the partial body of work. You know, you've, you, you, uh, I, right. ele- whether I'm in the elephant in the room or the loud mouth of the crowd, my, my position is never going to change that. You know what? You're judged by your entire body of work, no matter what industry that you're in period, not for a part, not for half of your body of work. They got caught. A lot of people tried to cheat. That is true. A lot of them, there's a couple who are in the hall of fame who did it, but didn't get caught. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's how it goes. But the Bonds and Clemens got caught, man. So, too bad. Yeah. So there's another name I wanted to mention, and he—I don't think he's going to get in. But I really, really can't stand the emotional plea that a lot of people are making about him, even being considered a Hall of Famer, and that's Omar Vizquel. Like, you can use all the counting numbers that you want. You can use batting average. You can use, you know the 2,877 hits. But when you factor in the fact that his career OPS plus was 82 and his career war is 45.6, can we please get over this idea that because he was Mark Belanger at shortstop that he's a Hall of Fame caliber player? Ozzie Smith's in with an 87 career OPS plus, but his war is like 76.9. So he obviously did enough, and I understand different era. Obviously, Smith played... Not that different. They overlap a little bit, but yeah... Uh, Omar's very borderline to me. He luckily he played so long that he got to the twenty eight hundred. Not luckily, he was in great shape. He mm-hmm. kept himself in great shape. That's how he got to the twenty eight hundred and seventy seven. Um, you know, you talk to you talk to. This is another thing with the younger the younger generation. They don't talk to the managers and the coaches and the players. They sit at home and they do all their analytical work, which is fantastic work. You don't get me wrong. But you talk to the people who play the game, right. who manage the game, who coach the game. They say Omar is a Hall of Fame player. You know, So that has to count for something is what I'm saying. 
Um, you know, to me, he's a very borderline guy. You can, I can go either way on him. Um, yeah, his offensive numbers are, you know, they're not Hall of Fame offensive numbers. That, that's that's clear. But there's more to it than that. The guy's a generational, ridiculously gifted shortstop, and you know, he was a winner too. And you know, as I, I'll just go back to it. it's it's his managers, his coaches, it's the opponent, opposing managers and coaches and players. Their opinion matters to me. It matters a lot to me. Right. So, as a voter, would you vote for him? He's, he's he's very borderline for me. Yeah, every year I go to go to ten, and he's he's right near the bottom of the ten. You know, so if there's a year that uh, you know, so I think a couple times I haven't, and a couple times I have. So he he's very borderline. Now, one so guy I want to. I think I'll, I'll say this. If he, if he doesn't make the writer ballot in the 10 years and he goes on to a veterans committee ballot, he, he'll get right in. They will put him in. The guys who are on those veterans committee, they're like the, they're the manager, they're like Tony La Russa. That's how, that's how Baines got in. La Russa and Reinsdorf and there was a couple of their cronies on, on that committee. And, you know, they did, I don't, I shouldn't say cronies. They just look at the game differently than the young analytical writers do. No, I think Tony you're right. Russa, he'll fight you. If you say Harold Baines doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, he's he's totally uh, adamant that Harold Baines got more clutch hits than anybody, and yada yada yada. He'll go on and on and on about his candidacy. He doesn't buy any of this crap about. And you can probably catch the interview that he had with Russo. It was a live interview on Russo's show. Uh, I think it was at the winter meetings last year in Vegas. I think. But anyway, you know, he, he got into it with Russo on TV. And I'll give Russo credit for standing up to it because you know Russo made all the claims that everybody makes and, and yeah Harold's number I agree Harold's numbers to me are very borderline but you talk to Tony La Russa about it he, he's adamant that Harold Baines is a Hall of Fame player so you know there's different perspectives and as a voter I, I gotta take in all the perspectives I, I look at the analytics uh, I'm, I'm grateful for all these people who've come along all younger than me but, uh, but who, who've developed this stuff and it, it's very informative and it, and it does help you evaluate but you got to look at the guys on the field and what right. they're saying too. They're the players. They're the coaches. They're right. the managers. Yeah. Well, that's with you and I yeah. being in it. The covering... analytics people don't know more than the, the managers and the players. They just don't. They well, know the numbers and the trends and all that, and you can they can you can give good information to, the, to help the players. But you got to you got to listen to what the players and what the and what the managers are saying too when it when it comes to Hall of Fame voting. Well, obviously, you've covered a ton. I go to the opposing managers. Now, obviously, you're going to, if you're, uh, you know, Tony La is going to fight for Harold Baines. That was one of his, that was his, that was his guy. But, you know, talk to the other managers about him, you know. Right. Good points. That's what you got to do. Yeah, good points. My ballot is kind of like a compilation of analytics of all the players that I interviewed and talked to in that era. You know, because I was co- these guys are on the ballot now. That was those are they're in my wheelhouse of coverage, so I should be voting on them. You know, not some twenty-five-year-old who didn't even see these guys play. You're just right. going by numbers. You know, there's more to it. You know, it's not just numbers. It's what the guys that are actually on the field are saying about it. Thank you. I'll listen to them too. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. You've right. definitely covered a lot of games through the years. Larry, after- you ask anybody about Larry Walker, anybody who. Played on on the Rockies, Geb Hart, anybody in their front office at the at time, Tony Siegel, Don, too bad Don Baylor's dead, but 
you ask anybody who was around Walker during his years, his peak years there, especially, you know, I covered the Rockies, so I saw him daily. Everybody says he was the best player on the field. He was a Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame talent. Uh, the question was, he didn't always apply himself, or he was hurt. You know, that that that's where the questions come. But was he a Hall of Fame talent? They will tell you absolutely. He's as good as you know, anybody, Griffey, anybody you, you want to name. He had that level of talent, and a lot of times it did it did show up in the numbers. <clears throat> In his ratio numbers, definitely. The counting numbers, he fell short because, as Lewis said, it was 110, 115 games a year, you said? It was 117. Whatever it was. Yeah, he missed a lot of games. He did. All right, let me ask, add a couple of things. You're right, Tony. You and I have definitely seen a lot of games. Obviously, you a lot more than I have, but I've seen a few. And I do agree that you have to judge a guy by talking to the managers and the players. But here's a guy that's named it's brought up a lot. His name is Fred McGriff. What are your thoughts about Fred mm-hmm. McGriff? Should he be in the Hall of Fame? I kept I kept voting for him, yeah. 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 He was my uh, – I didn't do steroids guy. You know, he got penalized in that era because he didn't do them. Right. And his numbers fell short. If he had, you know, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about I, I, I can't go with Bonds and Clemens because the numbers they put up, who knows, they're at least semi-fraudulent. And a guy like McGriff, who no one ever thought did anything, yet he falls short. What's funny about that, too, is if you look at the 94 strike, the season ends early. He's at He hit 493 career home runs, I believe. If that season doesn't end early, you know, he hits 500 home runs. We're having a different conversation. Probably. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yep. And so, yeah, he was one who, again, and I, I'm not saying he was a surefire, hands-down, first ballot, 98% of the vote guy. No, he was kind of borderline. I'll say that. But I, I did vote for him, yes. And I think I do think you know, when he, his name comes around in this, you know, the, uh, I forgot what they call it, the modern era of committee right. is what they call it now. Mm-hmm. But it's basically a veterans committee. There's, I think there's three or four writers on it. Who are, and then there's uh, front office executives, and then there's a couple of there's Hall of Fame players on it, too. And and, 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 you know, and they always change, so it's not the same. Uh, Let's read every, every every time. Let, every new, uh, it's every two years, and every two years the committee's entirely different, which is good. Let's revert back to Lou Whitaker. Okay, I know that Lou uh, Trammell's in there, Morris is in there, but do you feel that Lou Whitaker finally does get in? Um. I gotta see who's on the committee. Okay. I think he's borderline. Uh, I didn't vote for him, and, and, and it was a mistake that he fell off the ballot. That was that was you could blame that one on the writers. Um, and this was it was a little you know, and when people started delving into his career further, the analytics people they did point out a lot of things that I that I would say I probably wasn't aware of, and his candidacy would it, if he had stayed on the ballot. His candidacy would have got would have grown and grown, I think, kind of like an Edgar Martinez, you know, and some of the other guys who really got like Blylevin got boosted by analytics too. Um, so yeah, so yeah, Lou didn't get the benefit of that, unfortunately. But even still, all told, yeah, yeah, he's you know, 
if you want to know. He'll get in, but he's, he's not like a, he wasn't a slam dunk Hall of Famer. And I don't think it was that egregious. What was egregious is that he didn't stay on the ballot. That was, right. that was, that was, a, that was a bad mistake by the writers, me being one of them. Uh, was he a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but, you know, especially what we knew analytically at that when he was on the ballot? I would definitely say I would absolutely not. So we'll see where it's, uh, you know, we'll see what this committee comes up with. I, I would probably, since he's on, since he got named onto it, I would, I'd say he's probably got a, he's got a pretty good chance of, of uh, getting named to it, like Morris. If you want a really good note on it, I mean, Whitaker's career OPS plus is one seventeen. Jeter's is one fifteen. Whitaker's WAR right. one sixty two is five point one. Jeter's is. Four point three. I understand they're middle infielders, but and they played in di- different eras. But Whitaker does, in fact, have a World Series. He has that. I mean, he has yep. a higher WAR than Trammell. He's the seventh highest WAR all time among second basemen. If right. and that and given yep. WAR is era specific, given the fact that his WAR is seventh all time regardless of eras, I think that should have. You know, gotten him in a lot sooner. But again, Bill James didn't really implement this. He implemented, you know, the idea of sabermetrics early on in the late, you know, late seventies, early eighties. Whitaker was still an active player, so this conversation couldn't really develop until later on. But I think he belongs. The first piece piece I ever got published in Detroit sports media, thanks to Scott, was the Hall of Fame case for Whitaker, and he's got a higher WAR, I believe, than like half of the second baseman who are already in there. So I just think it's... Yes, he does. It's that a, is true, and I think since Trammell got in, and, you know, I, I think uh, I think Lou belongs in there, too. If, he, if Trammell's in, why not, you know, mm-hmm. why not Lou? Uh, you, can't, you can't argue against that. All right. They're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they were similar. Similar enough. Let's talk... One and the other one, you know, disappeared. It's, it's crazy, but... Let's talk about another former Tiger. You and I are. Oh. We can correct that mistake now. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Detroiter. I, I, as a kid, I, before I became a journalist, I was a Tiger fan. So, yeah, yeah he, I, uh, I hope Whitaker gets in. I do. Well, let me transition to that. Okay, we're both Detroiters. What about Mickey Lolich? I, I personally think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He ate up a lot of innings. He was clutch, obviously, in the '68 World Series. You know, I, I think his numbers are worthy. Yeah, I think he falls into that Jim Cott just just short of it. But the pitching uh, qualifications are have kind of diminished a little bit. So his what did he win? Two hundred and eighty games, ton of strike. Was he third all time in left-handed left-handers and strikeouts? Yeah, you, know, you can make a better case for him now. Right. Now, I have two other names on the modern era ballot that I considered other than Whitaker, and one is Dwight Evans. I think Dwight Evans, obviously, he played alongside Fred Lynn, and Fred Lynn isn't a Hall of Famer. His war is about 17 points higher or lower than Evans, but Evans, 67.1 war. That is a little bit lower than the average for the Hall of Fame right fielders, but that is a little exacerbated given the fact that Ruth, you know, and other guys were out there, Hank Aaron and such, played out there they made the, that total so disproportionate but i think evans belongs and the other name i'll make and i'll make yeah, an you can make a good case for him I, I wouldn't i wouldn't have a huge problem if he got in no. and the other name i'm pointing out is thurman munson and hear me out really quick on thurman munson re, re, and i'll refer back to a catcher a generation or two prior and that's roy campanella Roy Campanella, his career is very strange he won three mvps with the dodgers he has the 55 world series his career 
ended before he was paralyzed in an automobile accident. Or I believe it was in 57 he got paralyzed, and they honored him two years later. But that's not the case. Campanella had Goodyear, bad year, Goodyear, bad year. He was the catcher's equivalent in the 40s and the 50s of what Brett Saberhagen was about 30 to 40 years later with the Royals. Campanella's war is a lot lower than Munson's, and you can argue that his career ended prematurely due to injury. Munson's career obviously ended prematurely due to, you know, he crashed the Cessna in August of 79 and he dies. The war is 46-1. The average war for a Hall of Fame catcher is 54.3. Again, a little exacerbated given that Johnny Bench and Gary Carter are 70-plus. They set the gold standard. But Munson's counting numbers, if you really want to go by it, a 296 batting average as a catcher is impressive. Or 292, I'm sorry. He was a good defender. I believe he won four gold gloves. He has the MVP in 76. It's The on-base percentage that year was similar to Elson Howard's when he won his MVP with the Yankees in 63. Why is Thurman Munson not in the Hall of Fame, and do you think he has a chance to get in on this ballot? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it was long before I started voting, so yeah, I never had a shot at it. I never really studied his career that closely, but um, yeah. I'd have to take a look. I, I just listened to what you said, and I, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. Yeah, you know, it's um, especially playing in New York, you would think you would have got a little bit stronger consideration. But, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see what this committee com- comes up with. All right, let me go back. It's going to be interesting to see how, 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 how that vote goes. Let, let me go back to Lulich, Tony. Did you say you think he does belong in? No, I think he's borderline. Okay. So with that said, why don't we talk about his catcher, Bill Freehand, a guy who I think had a fine career as well. Yeah, I, I've seen some things where if you go back and look at his career, you know, uh, it kind of measures up. Yeah. When I watched him play, and I was young, I was just a kid. You know, right. Kid and then a teenager. He didn't strike me as a Hall of Fame player, but, yeah, now this is 40 years later, we know a lot more right. about what, what, what we were watching back then. So, uh, right. I don't know. I don't know. You know, he made the All-Stars a lot, a lot of years, though. Right. Won a lot of gold gloves. And his offense doesn't look very good, but that was the era. It was in the 60s. No, you know, nobody nobody hit a whole lot in the 60s. So, until 68, that's, that's why they lowered the mound, because nobody could hit. So, uh, you know, in his era, maybe. He might be able to make a case. Okay, so let's reel all this Hall of Fame. The, the, the overlying thing to all of this is where do you set the Right, right. You know what I mean? Me, when I first started voting, I was more of a hard ass. I was more of a, a, a hall of the only the very great. You know what I mean? Not a, not a hall of the very good. You know, And I'm still kind of that way, but I, I usually vote for 10 guys, so I guess I've softened over the years. Right. But, uh, yeah, it just depends. Where, where do you want to put how How elite do you want to make it? You know, that's kind of an overriding issue to all these guys. All these guys are kind of on the border, and maybe since Baines got in a lot, you hear this. Oh, if Baines is in, blah blah blah, this guy's got to be in, and you, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we did open up a can of worms with that. But that's for the veterans committee guys to to debate, not me. So, I can only vote for who's on who's on the writers ballot. So let's reel all this Hall of Fame stuff into one thing that I've. You're a voter that you could probably relate to as much as anything else. Okay. There are a lot of players who didn't get along with the media. Okay, doesn't They're, matter. Doesn't matter. You don't think that matters? Not to me. Kurt, Kurt Schilling's politics 
don't matter, and if they do, you should have your vote taken away from you. Right. That's ridiculous. It's what you do on the field. Nobody liked Bonds. doesn't matter. Okay. You know, I, I didn't like him either. No one liked him. Right. Uh, but that's that's not why I don't vote for him. I didn't, nobody talked to Eddie Murray either, but he got right in. Right. Okay. I mean, that's a fair question that you know, some people... To me, it makes no difference. But to other writers, I mean, does it? didn't talk to any media. Yeah, he might have had one or two guys in Baltimore who was halfway friendly with. But for the most part, it was Eddie, Eddie Murray was off limits. Everybody knew it. You just didn't talk to him. Fine, I don't care. But, you know, he, he was more than, uh, more than qualified. He went right in, as, it, as he should have. But does it matter in the eyes of other writers? Uh, where I they don't do? Know. It better not. It shouldn't. Right. Okay. Kurt Schilling because he's a conservative, right. an idiot. Number one, and number two, you should have your vote vote taken away from him. <laughs> right. That's what I think. Yeah. No, I, I vote for Schilling too. I have all along. Yeah. So this is the last question I'll ask about the Hall of Fame because I mean we can spend all day talking about this. Really, it's one of that's what makes. Yeah, you the... really can. We can go on and on. There's there are some right answers, but there yeah, there's just a lot of ways to look at this thing, and there's going to be differences of opinion and. It's all good. It's all. That's why everyone's so passionate about baseball. It's great. It's great that we have these discussions. And believe me, I've learned a ton over the years from 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 the analytics, and it has definitely changed how me and other voters of my era look at things. So, so it's, been a, it's been a plus, absolutely. I'm going to list the three names that were recently inducted, and you tell me. If they and I, I genuinely and I agree with this, but again, you know, you've been in this a lot longer than I have, and this is just my reliance on the numbers. The three names that were, or four names, I'm sorry, that were recent. Nothing wrong with that, but you'll see when, when 30 years from now, you'll look at things differently, and you will be able to compare. Oh yeah, I remember this guy. I remember. Yeah, you know, you'll be able to. You'll have the, you'll have the eye test to go by too, is what I'm saying. And you'll have 30 more years of watching baseball and learning, you know what who's good and you know what makes a great player and what doesn't and you know you'll have that perspective you know 20 30 years from now and you'll really and you'll be really thankful for it you will so the four names I'll list Harold Baines and I look I understand Lewis's plea he was his manager and one manager of the year in 83 yeah. with the White Sox when he was there Harold Baines played for the White Sox like 100 times but anyway Harold Baines Trevor Hoffman Jack Morris and Lee Smith do you think those four getting in and I, in my opinion, I think they lowered the standard for what we see a Hall of Famer as because Trevor Hoffman's numbers. I mean, Mariano Rivera made it literally impossible. He's the Babe Ruth of closers. His war is like twice that of Hoffman, Billy Wagner, and Lee Smith. You think those four getting in kind of lower the bar? I think Morris the most for me does it. Yeah, I would say Baines the most, but again, this is, you know, this is, it's kind of subjective because uh, he was to me he was a DH. Uh, not, not to keep DHs out, but I don't know. I, 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 co- I covered him personally when he was on a couple of years with the Rangers. He was an ex. He was a great hitter, great clutch hitter. Everything that Larusa says is true. Uh, he fell a little short to me. I didn't vote for him, and really, I, I didn't even consider him that strongly. I mean, Morris. I just the don't... others I voted for on and off. For the most part, I did vote for him. Yeah. So I would I would say Baines is the one who lowered it the most for me. Now, you even voted for Morris, I assume, given the fact that his ERA is the highest of any starting right. pitcher in the Hall it's of Fame. High. <laughs> it was high, no doubt. He was very, he's borderline, like I said. So there was some years I don't think I did vote for him. He was kind of, you know, he's kind of iffy. Well, Same with Lee Smith. I think I voted for him less than I voted for 
Jack. I, I think so would I would help. say Lee Smith would be second on that list. But again, different era. He's a different era of closer, so, you know. I think what helped Jack's case is... Different ways to judge him, Lee Smith. Yeah. What helped Jack's case, Tony, was winning World Series championships. I know with Tigers, uh, with Blue Jays and Twins, you know, yep. that, that one to nothing, ten. Any game had to help. So let's go on from Hall of Fame to maybe a couple obvious rule changes. Again, I know you see Jack Morris is another classic example of talk to anybody who played in that era. Okay. And they say he's a Hall of Famer. Right. That's what they say. They're the players. Right. And I'm not talking about his teammates. I'm talking about everybody. Right. Oh, that's really his opposition. Yeah. Right, I'm with you. Well, that's a good way for you to start He's looking at things. He's a classic example of, of that. So, now that the game has evolved, I want to go over a couple of notable rule changes. Now why we... did teams keep trading for him when they were on the verge of winning? You know, yeah, Toronto, you know, he came up with the Tigers, but you know, he right. kept going to teams where they were on the verge, or they are right there. Because he was a winner. Everybody knew he was a winner. He was a clutch player, he, and he, he could pitch a great game. When it, when you needed it, a great game pitched. Some of the overall numbers, yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty iffy, to be honest. But you know, you talk to the players of that era. Oh yeah, who do you want on the mound in Game Seven? Oh, Jack Morris. Thank hmm. you. you know that kind of a that kind of argument. And he, and it ultimately he got in by that by the his, the committee of his peers, not the not the writers who didn't vote him in. Tony, do you think? And Scott, I'll let you quit back. It's weird after. to have all these. Sorry to keep interrupting, but it's okay. weird to have the, you know you have the group of writers who are the actual voters. Then you have the now you have this the veterans committee of the peers of the players, and then there's the analytics community out there too. You have all these different you know huh. uh, viewpoints, and there's going to be there's going to be some heads butting. There's no doubt about it. Right. So again, you know, you got to just you got to just roll with it. And it's you can debate these things forever. But you got to just go by the results. You know, Jack Morris is, is a Hall of Famer now. Whether the analytics people probably never accept it, but his peers think, "Oh, good, it's about freaking time he got in." You know, so it's just we can we can we can talk, we can go back and forth forever. Well, then if you're going to bring up Morris, then it leads me to bring up this point: how you have Justin Verlander can't win in the postseason, and you have Clayton Kershaw. They've had Daddy. great regular seasons. But it's gonna hurt. It should hurt their candidacy. In yeah, I think so. I mean, well, I think both are locks. You talk to any player; they want to win a ring. They want to win a. They're all they're all multimillionaires now. Right. They really do want to win a ring. That really does matter. Right. It is a black mark on uh, JV's career. It just is. He's, he's still gonna make the Hall of Fame anyway. But right. But you know, it's kind of a black mark. Not helping Clayton Kershaw out either. No, it's not. That's for sure. So. Now that the game has evolved the way it is, I know that there's some recent rule changes that I want to run by you. I have no problem limiting catchers' visits, you know, mile visits. That's okay with me. I do have a problem down the road with a pitch clock. I don't think you can do that. I don't know what your opinion is. What's that? Why not? Why? Do you think a pitch clock's necessary? I'm not saying necessary. I'm saying I'd like to see it. Why why do these pitchers keep delaying on, on purpose? Okay. Well, I, I guess I'm not used to it. It would take a while for me to adjust to that one. That's me. Take it for whatever yeah, it's worth. 
there's, there's arguments on both sides. I, right. I get, I get there. You know, their pit, you know, the pitcher's argument is it's too important of a pitch. I need 30 seconds. I need 30 seconds. Damn right. it. You know, and, uh, <laughs> right. Okay. All right. It's, but these games just drag on. And then the guy gets out of the box and then right. the pitcher gets off the rubber. It's like, just play. Right. So I think, you know, if it's, 20 seconds may not be enough, but let's make it 30. And, like, you know, I, I sit here and watch these. Granted, this is not – these are not important games by any stretch of the word. The Arizona Fall League. Right. But I, I go to a ton of those games out here, and they, they they institute all these rules out here first. You know, this is this is the testing ground. Right. Inside the Atlantic League, too. But, you know, I've seen these games uh, in the Fall League, and it's 20-second pitch clock. It doesn't even come into effect. They're throwing the ball within 10 or 15 seconds. Now, granted, this is not the World Series, and these games don't, you know, they're not that important to games, but, you know, I'm just saying, let's just make the clock 30 seconds. 90, you know, 95 pitches out of 100, it's it's going to be, you know, they're going to be thrown within 20 seconds. But there are a couple pitches in, in a game that are really key, and that's when these pitchers are they're just taking, you get, you know, you get some guys on base, and some of these relievers especially, they just slow the game down. Oh, God. Baez on the Dodgers. Some of these other guys. It's like, come on, throw a pitch more than one pitch every minute. You know what I mean? So what what about ro- some bad offenders out there? What about robot umpires? Mm. Have you gotten warmed up to that one? Or they some have of, automatic. Some of the horrible balls and strikes that were called in the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Wow, there were some bad calls. I'm sorry. Those are bad calls. There was a ton of them. Roble, that one Robles at bat, yeah. the strikeout. There were several of them. I could name off the top of my head. So there was some bad, you know. So whether you like it or not, Scott, it is it that is going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. Now, one I thing think I the union will keep fighting the pitch clock, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's a if they put in a pitch clock, maybe like a thirty second instead of a twenty, just you know, right. just to just to stop the really bad offenders. Now, one rule change I don't have a problem with is a pitcher facing three hitters because you and I grew up in an era where relievers were pitching two or three innings. Anyways, that wouldn't bother me one bit. That's just me. Okay, so you, it's the seventh game of the World Series, and you can't bring in a lefty to face one batter. Well, again, this is what the game has become, right, that. Tony? I mean, or, why? Why? I know. Uh, We're tinkering uh, with it anyways, I'm, right? I'm not big on this. I, I, that's one I don't like. Oh, you don't? I just, <laughs> oh, I can't uh, wait till we go to the stadium club and talk about this in March. Whether I like it or not, I, I figured that out already. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, it's just my, I just don't agree with it. There is, you can't take all that strategy out of the game just to speed it right. speed up for one pitching change. Oh, well, we, let me tell you, Tony, when we go to the stadium club in Chandler, we're going to have a lot of fun about rules discussion. So let me ask you this. Now you're a retired writer. Well, what does Lewis think about this? Go ahead. I hear the young guy's opinion. Okay. I'm just go listening ahead. to you guys you talk. Care about that the games are, let me ask you. They, they say you guys, uh, you know, uh, baseball's boring if it's more than three hours, blah, blah, blah. What, what, what do you think about these, these things? Listen, there's an intrinsic beauty to baseball that you can't find in other sports. I'm not a big fan of a wide receiver celebrating a six-yard catch for a first down, but I'm also not a fan of Yasiel Puig stepping out every five, every pitch to you know readjust his batting gloves or for David Ortiz to spit yep. in his hands. 
But at the same, with as far as three pitcher, as three hitters go, look, Oliver Perez was a starting pitcher, mind you, a failed starting pitcher, and when he moved to the bullpen as a lefty specialist, that was his role. But you can't tell me that guys like him and Jerry Blevins and maybe Darren O'Day didn't grow up facing right-handers and left-handers. You're not going to go to the major leagues just doing one thing. You get specialized as you get to the minor That's leagues. That's not the point. You're trying to match up in a late inning. You get, you know, he, can, he can get this lefty, but I don't want him facing Arenado. Who's up next? You can get Charlie Blackman, fine, but I don't want him facing Arenado. I want to bring in my right-hander. I got to let him face Arenado and give up a double off the wall? No, I agree with the three-batter minimum. It's like you're you're tying the manager's hands. I think, and I don't know, and you guys didn't mention this perspective, but and you may like it given you grew up in an era when starting pitching, you know, ruled the game a lot more than relief pitching did, although you had guys like Gossage and before him Elroy Face and... Um, Bobby Shantz with the Yankees in the 50s. But I think the three-batter minimum will allow for an increased reliance on starting pitching, which will force front offices to reevaluate how they develop guys. Because, li- listen, Hopefully. these guys, I'm with you on that. the guys that you see st- pitching today were groomed to throw six to seven innings. Zach Greinke's a future Hall of Famer, but d- I don't think you knew this, but Greinke has like 16 career complete games. Tom Gordon, who was a reliever for the majority of his career, started maybe like a 200 plus games. Has 18 complete games. They're groomed right. differently yeah, they nowadays. Used to throw them back 10 years ago, they used to do that a lot. I think it'll it'll cause a distrust in your bullpen that'll you know cause managers to rely on starters more. And realistically, they should be groomed to throw a lot more innings. Maybe this um, the players' union may not like that because guys like Brad Ziegler, a retired player, is one of the big guy head honchos in that. But at the same time, like it gets annoying to see seven pitching changes a game. The Astros, if you, if you want to talk about robot umps, we're talking about that. The, the one pitch that was the most meaningful in that World Series was the 2-1 changeup. That uh, that Granky threw to Soto that was down the middle of the plate, eighty eight miles an hour for a ball, and then the next pitch, fastball away, Soto walks, and then Kendrick hits the home run off of off of Will Harris. Yeah, yeah. So right. these changes are needed, and the three batter minimum may have more good than bad, but at the same time, I agree with the specialization thing. But the opener, you know, the the Rays have instituted has kind of altered our perception of that. Time will only time will tell. In the Arizona Fall League, yeah, it's the breeding ground for all that stuff. It's where they tested, but the baseball also has a relationship with the Atlantic League, the independent leagues, where they where they like to test a lot of stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, apples and oranges comparing a fall league game to to the big leagues, where there's so much more at stake. But these things are, you know, that's the how they, the only that's thing is is you have future major league stars that go there. Teams send their best yeah, prospects there. Yeah, which is good, and I think they they, they grow up in. They grow up with. They're going to grow up with the with the, with the robo strike zone, you know, in future in these upcoming years here. It works fine in the fall league. I didn't even, you know, if you didn't know that they were doing it, you wouldn't even know because the umpire makes the call almost you know, automatically so, after the pitch is delivered. It's 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 uh, you know, it's called from upstairs and he's wearing a earphone and they they say ball and he says ball. You know, it's 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 instantaneous. You really don't even notice it, honestly. Yeah, no, it's coming, and it needs to come. It's coming, you're right. It's totally coming. 
regardless of people of different eras like it or not, it's going to happen. Listen, we have to appeal at times in this ADD culture that we live in. It, we're going to have to do what we can to make sure that base like World Series games don't need to be four hours long unless it's Game Seven of the two thousand Game Six of the two thousand eleven World Series. Other than that, I want a brisk three hour game. We've done. We haven't really made any strides in cutting game time. We cut it by like no, three minutes, and then really it goes haven't. up by six. So. You know what? Manfred yeah. needs to continue experimenting. Yeah, five minutes here, there. Yeah, it's not, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. Part of it's just it's not. You know, it, it's it's the pace of play is part of the problem. These guys stepping out of the box, just you know, every pitch is like, you know, it's like it's a World Series game now. This is you know, everything's overemphasized. Absolutely. Just, just just play, speed it up and play. But so, you know, it's that's kind of not how it is. So. So let's talk That's about Manfred's problem, I guess. You know, we can always flip the channel. So that, that's my just go to another game or something. But let's talk about your career, Tony. Let's talk about your career. Obviously, you were at the Miami Herald. That's when you were down here. You and I were with the Sun Tatler, or you were there. Then we went Herald. You know, you covered baseball a lot of years. But are you glad that you're finally retired away from a lot of this stuff? Do you miss being around the game on a regular basis? Well, I'm still around it. I just don't have to write about it. So, right. Yeah. Um, which is good. I don't know. Everybody reaches their point. Uh, my first year on the – I covered spring training in the mid-'80s at the Miami Herald. Right. That's where I kind of got the bug. The the Rock, uh, the Rock. Rangers were still in Pompano. Right. And the Yankees were there in Lauderdale. It was Lockhart Stadium over there, you know. Yeah. They were there. So I, I got exposed to it there, and I just kind of got the bug, and – 1987 rolls around, and got, got a call from the Fort Worth paper. They needed a Rangers beat writer, and you know, I, I knew yeah, that there was a connection between them and the Herald. A couple of the editors went back and forth. Anyway, so yeah, I got that job, and yeah, that's when I started, 1987. So it's a long time ago, man. I know. And, you know the uh, the industry has changed. You know, it's not even I should say. I can't even say the newspaper industry anymore. It's not, not really there anymore. Oh, that's true. Uh, you know, how the game is covered has changed. Baseball has changed. So much has changed from, you know, back when I was covering the Bobby V Rangers with Charlie Huff and Nolan Ryan and Bo hmm. V McDowell. It's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's so long ago. At just some point where you just kind of reach the point where it's like, well, you know, I'm okay with stepping away. We'll let, we'll let, Young guys like Lewis step in there. It's your turn, big boy. Go get them. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's funny. I remember the first games you and I used to go to is Fort Lauderdale Stadium, which is no longer there. Fort Lauderdale Stadium and Lockhart got torn down because of David Beckham's new soccer uh, facility. It'll be over uh, on that okay. site now. But then you're right. I remember covering uh, games at Pompano Beach Municipal Stadium. And I, I, the Rangers were great. Which is a glorified high school field, by the way. But yeah, uh, right. Well, that's, that's right. That's another thing is spring training has changed. Oh, my God. Now, Hasn't especially it? out here, you come out to a Cubs game. When you come out, well, you've, you've been out here, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, they draw 15000 for a game against, you know, the Brewers or something. It's just, it's, it's, it's nuts. Well, I've got two stadiums left. I got Scottsdale. I got uh, the Cubbies. I already went to the old Cubbies one over at Mesa where the A's fixed it up, and Maryvale's changed. Other than that, once I hit the next two stadiums, yeah, I should say two and a half. Did a job with the Maryvale uh, re- refurbishing. They, they did a nice job with that. Did they? That, that's a good park, yeah. Yeah. I'm look, 
uh, after that. The only thing, yeah, everything, everything about the complex is great except where it's located. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. That's, that's the problem there. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. But yeah, in fact, two and a half uh, stadiums. I'd say Maryvale's the half. Okay, because of the refurbished yeah. part. Yeah, you'll like it. It's a well, good job. And the other two, I can't wait to see. And you and I hanging out at Ch- Stadium Club. I remember when I recently texted you a picture of where it was, but you didn't know it. that was before you. Uh, they ended up turning into a Packers bar over at the new locale. But uh, yes. I'm looking f- forward to obnoxious Packer bar. Yes, I'm looking forward to being able to sit across the table from you this time and debate these rule changes. How two old school guys, which we pretty much are. Uh, can talk about modern baseball. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm sure that uh, you've told me you don't miss writing about it anymore at all, do you? No, I really don't. I'm good. I had my I had my turn. I'm good. So how There's mu- other things out there, you know. I got to go to the College Baseball World Series this year. Did First you? time I've ever gotten to go because all the other years I was working, you know, covering big leagues. So that was very enjoyable. I, I, I will definitely go back to that. Stuff like that. There's just things I want to do. Yeah, and I don't want to wait till I'm like 75 years old and can't walk around. I want to do them now. Like what? I want to go to the Masters. Yeah, call that bucket list, right? Yeah, mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, just stuff like that. No, ain't nothing wrong with that. Hey, listen, I want to go to London to see the Jaguars uh, this uh, weekend, but the only thing that stopped me was my doctor. I've only, I've never been across the big pond, so that's something I want to do. That's, I remember a time, in fact, you know what, Tony, was so interesting about talking about this? There was a time you wrote a story about what Caribbean players, you know, back then. Uh, tell Lewis a little bit about that. You were one of the first people that actually took a trip. Yeah, I, I, I went down there to the Dominican with a Yankee scout named Fred Ferreira. Right. And he later, he, he kind of, he was one of the pioneers of going down, you know, down to Latin America and signing kids. And yeah, I, I went to the Dominican. We went uh, three different three different cities cities so they're like you know ghetto but yeah they held yeah he put on a couple of tryout camps and he did he did sign one kid out of there and i followed his career as a little middle infielder named juan rivas he ended up not making the big leagues but yeah it was it was quite an eye-opening thing back then it was like yeah these kids are using like cardboard for gloves and, you know all those things that you, you know you've probably read some of those stories it, it's all pretty true the, the, the poverty down there is you know it's uh, disarming. It's it's pretty bad, and these kids don't. They have nothing, you know. So right, baseball is their way out. It probably still is pretty much that way. This I went back down there like I think it was nineteen eighty one or two. Right, with Fred way back then, and uh, yeah, that that is the way out for these a lot of these kids. Sammy Sosa, he grew up in a like a jungle, from what I've told. Yeah, you know, even even the other guys, the other Puerto Rican guys, um, even they said he grew up in a bad area you know what i mean it's like well yeah sammy he was from the jungle man you know so it's like yeah he came from he came from nothing literally nothing you know, selling fruit on the streets well, well you so, knew that i worked with sammy though don't you back in uh 87 when he was with the gastonia rangers i did work with him for a year right yeah so how about that team oh god yeah uh, we had 10 12 major leaguers on a team that lost yeah, 90 games know, lewis trying to figure the end what's that Kenny Rogers was he? He was on it. Yeah. Dean Dean Palmer was on it. Yeah. Juan Gonzalez. Juan, Juan Sammy. Right here. I got it pulled up. There was a bunch of bunch of guys. I think it was ten or eleven guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was the director of public pitchers. relations on that team. 
Wayne Rosenthal on that team. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite the year. Yeah, yeah I, I was Juan Gonzalez on that team. All those guys later made the Rangers when I when I was covering them. Yeah. yeah. You were in the majors, and I was at Class A uh, in the administrative side. Go figure out, Tony. I had it when they were green, and you got it when they got there. What wasn't yeah. it? Uh, the, I think they had a guy that went straight from uh, Gastonia right to uh, Texas uh, named Malloy, Bob Malloy. Um, yeah, Bob Malloy. Yeah, yeah, they had no pitchers on those Rangers teams. Oh, they didn't, did they? And they were just totally stuck at one point. I think, well, Malloy was like, yeah, I, he was pitching well, but of course – low a ball yeah it was his turn you know what i mean when they needed him it was like oh okay who do we have in the minors who's you know it'll be his his, you know fifth day who can we bring up well he was the guy so they brought him up and he actually did okay but he had basically no major league career he didn't make it well you talk most don't you talk about the Texas Rangers for a moment. You bring up an interesting point. They played in Arlington Stadium. They played in the one that they're leaving, and now this one. Do you think yeah. – what are your thoughts about the Rangers changing uh, three stadiums in the last 30 years? I know Arlington uh, had to go. They, well, Arlington Stadium was a dump. Right. That really needed to happen. Right. And you can you can thank George W. w. Bush right. for pushing that through. He put the group together to buy the team from Eddie Childs, who was a oil Texas oil man who's kind of going broke. Right. And George W. put together a group of yeah, these rich investor types, and he was the front man. And he bought the team. They bought the team, and he was he was their front man. Great guy. And, you know, as a as a person, he was funny. He really loved baseball. You know, th- again, this is this was before he went into politics. So, uh, yeah, so he saved that team. That stadium was great. That's a beautiful stadium. They did a great job with it. There's nothing I didn't like about that park. But uh, if you're there any summer, you know how hot it is there. It's ridiculously hot and humid. And uh, this new stadium, I'll I'll, I'll make this statement. This new stadium is going to change the Ranger franchise because players already want to live there. Because there's no state tax, right? So in their in, in their brackets, that's a lot of money. Okay, you know when you're making thirty million or twenty million a year, not having to pay a seven five percent sales tax is you know, not sales tax, state tax, right? You know, oh, I hear you. You're saving a lot of money. So players already want to live there, and a lot of them live there after their careers. They stay there, and you know, it's a good place to live. Now you'll be able to play inside, and that's just going to change who what kind of players will will be able to get to go there. Is that going to be retra- transformed the franchise? It is. I really do. So, yeah, that's retractable. In fact, not only that, I also hear, which is. So when it's nice, and there are some nice days, don't get me wrong, but in the middle of the summer, it's just so, so blazing hot, and batting practice is at 5 o'clock. It's like the hottest time of the day. Right. Even way back when I was covering it, they would, they would do anything to, like, they used to wear shorts, you know, during batting practice, or they just wouldn't. They would just have it down under the under the stands, you know, in in the cages. It's anything to avoid getting that heat. It, it wears you out over a, over the course of a season. Later in the season, you're just worn out. So that's not going to happen anymore. So you're going to get they'll they'll get a, be able to get better free agents. I think. Well, 
not only that, I'm glad that they're using the old stadium that they're in, even if it's for an XFL team, because at least they're not right. throwing away a brand relatively new stadium. It's still yeah, being... it's, it opened one years after Coors Field, and then they're already closing it down. So yeah. It's, you know, it's like 25-year-old stadium. So it's still usable, but, you know, as far as increasing attendance, because more people will go because it's not going to be 105 degrees in the sun, and I think you're going to get better. So their attendance will go up. Uh, they'll be able to attract bigger free agents. Right. Oh, when you talk, they're going to be, you know, in the next, let's say it's going to take them a few years, but they can get back to where they were. Well, when you talk about some of the stadiums out there, though, like Toronto still has their retractable. Milwaukee was brilliant when they ended up with theirs and the Diamondbacks have one. And now I'm glad to see the Rangers getting one too. So, you know, it's too bad. A lot of it them makes, don't, you know, Houston's is, I mean, right. Just, that one it too. Just makes sense. Yeah. They need to do it. In regards to the new stadium, Tony, we spoke about the Nationals earlier. There's a Texas native who is a free agent, third baseman. He's a world champion, Anthony Rendon. You think you know how teams like to usher in new stadiums? We saw the Marlins do that with Heath Bell, Mark Burley, and Reyes. You think the Rangers make a plea that, hey, we're going to do a new stadium, we want to – get our heir apparent to Adrian Beltre because they didn't really have that in 2018 with the Struble Cabrera. Do you think they go after Rendon? I think they're going to make a splash. I do. Whether it's him or not, yeah. yeah. He's from Houston. He's not from Dallas. There's a big difference. They, the two places hate each other. But, you know, that doesn't mean he won't want to play in Texas. I bet he does want to play in Texas. Nice. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I do think the Rangers will make, a, make, will make a splash along those lines. Whether it's him or not, you know, who knows. He's a pretty low-key, humble Christian guy. I don't think he wants to, you know, he might stay in Washington. He might go to a – I could see him going to a, you know, not a so-called elite franchise, you know, like a Rangers. I could see him going to Houston if they didn't have, like, you know. Bregman. Who they have over there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe they, maybe they trade Correa. Maybe they, you know, I don't know what they might do. But, you know, Houston's going to – uh Houston's going to take a step back here. You know, Tony, we live in a... Cole's gone, Verlander's on, you know, he's in decline. I could see them taking a step back. We, so, Tony, we live in a state that you used to live in, so what are your thoughts about Major League Baseball in the state of Florida? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it could leave any time now. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry, they, they, uh, how many, you know... The story was when I was at the Herald, it was like, oh, baseball will go over big in Miami. All yeah. the Latins, blah, 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 blah. Heard it a million times. Yeah. Just hasn't happened. Why? Mm. I, I don't know all the factors anymore. I haven't lived there since 1987. Right. So, you know, I guess there's still a lot of the same, you know, factors that were the same back then. It's not in the greatest area stadium I'm talking about. Well, that's where the Orangeville used to be. They just don't get the fans, and uh, it hasn't changed. Yeah. I don't think it's going to. But I don't think they'll ever leave either. So I think Tampa has a chance to leave. Yeah. Oh. That, that I, I could see that. Yeah, I'm well aware of the Marlins Park. It's a beautiful stadium in the wrong name. They should have had it in Broward County, but yeah. they didn't. But that's where I was just figuring, since you, you and I lived here many, back in the day, Lewis is here, part of the new generation that's here. And Tampa, yeah, they the, – Yeah, the what is going on? Like, Why don't they go? What's what, – I mean – Well, Tam- well the lease is 2027. Well, I know there's a lot of animosity with the ownership. Right. It's understandable. 
I think, well, as far as the Marlins go, if you look back at their history, they haven't really had stellar ownership. Obviously, Heizenga traded everybody after 97, and Dave Dombrowski was the the puppet in that. Not one, but two World Series teams that they blew up basically immediately afterward. You can't do that. You expect your fans to hang in there, but go ahead. Loria was horrible. Obviously, John Henry was the owner before him, and he went to Boston, and, you know, he... Took Liverpool with him and all that jazz, but you know, Loria was Loria made that emotional plea to Stanton and gave him three hundred twenty-five million after he got hit in the face. And I'm glad Miami got that contract out of their hands, though. I think a lot of our attendance went down with that. But I think it's just a lack of trusting the players. Do you realize that we Rule Five drafted Cliff Lee and Johan Santana in 1997, and look at the careers that they managed to have? Yeah, they were derailed by injury, but we we traded three Cy Youngs away. <laughs> Like, come on. Yeah, look, at, look at the outfield you just recently traded away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It comes down to ownership. I really think that's all it yep. boils oh, down no to. Doubt. I mean, ownership is way, is, is, that's where it all starts. It really it really does. You've seen so many teams messed up by just, you know, owners who just don't don't, don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, the Tampa side, you, you're, they're in a stadium that uh, they're tied to <laughs> till 2027, so... Uh, right. They got about two or three years to get that straight. Now, forget the Montreal uh, debacle, but they got about two or three. That's what it takes to build a stadium. I've always thought, being a Tampa guy as well, since I have roots there, they, it belongs in Hillsborough County, not St. Petersburg, but that's another time. Yeah, that's what everybody says, right? Well, being a Tampa guy. So, Lewis, anything, uh, other questions you want to ask for Tony? I know you're an aspiring uh, writer that wants to be a national writer. Tony, you want to give him any advice or you want to ask questions? Yeah. Go ahead, Lewis. Yeah, Tony, if you were to give me any, you know, tips, you know, because, again, my main aspiration is to cover baseball on a national level. I want to be on TV like a Rosenthal or Verducci, maybe have better hair than Tom Verducci, but, you know, that's pretty hard to do. But, um, yeah, no, I I mean, that's been my goal ever since I was about 15, 16 years old, just combine my love of baseball and, you know, take that on TV, and maybe I'll get to relay messages from Joe Buck. There you go. It's so different now. You know, I came up in the newspaper world. It's it's an entirely different world. I would get yourself connected with like Saber, and uh, you know they produce a lot of uh, kids who go into these. You know they go get in these front office jobs. Yeah, I've had contact with Vince Gennaro in the past, who who's one of the presidents there. Very good guy. I wrote a piece. I'm, I'm a member, and I'm a, I'm actually vice president of the Phoenix chapter out here. Yeah, I I, I know Vince. The the main the national office is out here in phoenix and uh they're tied in with the well you're out of college right Mm -hmm. i have my degree in communications from florida atlantic yeah they have the uh arizona school arizona state has the cronkite school of journalism that's where the saber offices are and there's there's a tie-in with them and uh you know i know that they've they've gotten kids into like internships and stuff like that. What about MLB.com? Have you tried that internship program? Yeah. So I had an I had an offer with the Miami Marlins on covering teams, and you basically you you don't you know you, you shadow the beat writer, and you get to cover a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I had an offer with the Miami Marlins recently, but I had to turn it down because financially, they I wasn't going to be able to afford my expenses. I just got a new car. I have to you know car. Yeah, they don't pay you. Yeah, yeah it's nothing. And honestly, I don't want to take advantage. You get great. So a lot of those kids have now they took their internship there at MLB.com, say covering the 
like Fennec, who covers the free, who covers the Tigers. Right. He was the he 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 was the MLB.com uh, intern, as they call him. He covered the D-backs one year, probably six or seven years ago. Now he's covering the Tigers for the free press. I could probably name five or six more of those kids who you know who've who've, who've done the same thing. All right. That seems to be the way in now. The biggest thing for me was I turned down an opportunity, obviously due to the financial restraints, but when Scott took a chance on me in May, and I'm not just saying this because he's right in front of me, one thing I preach is loyalty. I'm loyal to whoever comes into my circle, and I wasn't just going to drop this, especially now that I get airtime and I get to cover football games and I get to write twice a week. I get to do essentially everything I've wanted to do, and I've talked to some amazing people, yourself included already, so I can't just drop something like that in regards to, in lieu of something that wouldn't even help me pay my bills. So yeah. I I still yeah, get to that's work. That's always the problem. It's, it's not, I know it's harder than it used to be. There's no, you know, I have, I have a daughter, you know, so, uh, you know, I know it's a lot harder than uh, it was for me to get a, you know, to break in, get a newspaper job. Back then, you, you know, I, would, I wanted a newspaper job. That's what I wanted to do. So yeah, but it was easier. You could get it hired by a small paper, and you just kind of worked your way up. And that's it's probably still similar that way, although it's just it's not a paper anymore. It's some internet site or something, you know. And that's what that's where I'm trending. I can't just give up an allegiance for something that really wouldn't. It would. I mean, the push and pull there is that's a good foot in the door, but at the same time, I can't just put get rid of this because this is really like this right. has been my first big break, and you know, I don't. I'm I'm not. That's pers- true, but Scott wants you to succeed and move forward too. Absolutely, but I'm not going to take the opportunity he's given me for job. granted. What's that, Tony? I'm I sorry. said you want you want to push him forward just as much as he wants to move forward. Yeah. And if he gets some better opportunity, you're going to say, "Go get him, kid!" Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't I don't hold my kids no. back. Uh, nobody ever held me back, and I would never hold right. him back. So I, I I figure that what I'll do is. He'll develop as much as he's able to develop. It'll be a tough love type of relationship. I've never been easy to work with with somebody that's ever pushed me hard like you pushed me. But I want to make sure what when they take that plunge that they do it and they're able to succeed at it. I don't want them coming back to me because they failed because they didn't have the right work ethic to do it. And, you know, I mean, that's important. Hey, listen, I, I kid you or not, you uh, work with me one-on-one and spend a lot of time with me when you were busy doing your thing. George Icorn and, and I did the air, and now at least he has a chance to be able to work in both the, on the air, develop his own niche as well as uh, as a writer. So yeah, I always we really appreciate loyalty, and that's what it's all about: is developing somebody that has a good attitude. I can't teach you a work ethic, Lewis. Just like Tony couldn't teach me one, you know. But when I was out of line, Tony was nice enough to say you need to do better in this area. Otherwise. You're going to have issues, and it's about accepting teaching is what it is and have the work. Yeah. If you don't have either of them, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. Well, a lot of it's about opportunity. Now. I don't think there's as much opportunity as there used to be. I, I might be wrong about that. No, I think you're right. There's so much you know, the more part, competition. There are no more newspapers to go to, so right. you just got to go to the Internet sites, I guess. You know, it's, it's, it is tougher. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know what's even tougher these I, days? I would say this. Find what you love and just go for it. That, that's the only way you're going to have the fortitude to push through. You got to really love what you're doing. Right. If you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to want to give the. I'll use the cliche 110. percent You right. know what I mean? So well, lo- love, love what you're doing. That's that's the number one thing. 
I, I think it's tougher, Tony, these days than what it was when you and I were in the industry because yeah, everybody's doing no a doubt. podcast. No, so in that respect, I do feel bad for yeah, kids yeah. coming out of school today. Where are the jobs? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I relish the challenge of trying to make this whole thing work, and that's why I think it keeps me. I mean, you know, listen, I'm 57 going on 90, according to my doctors, but I really don't care if I get three hours of sleep. It's just the ability <laughs> to go out there and see it through anyhow the way we have to do it. But, uh, you know, you've meant everything in the world to me, uh, but now you really got my wheels turning about us debating the rule changes over at Chandler yeah. Stadium Club, so we're going to have some yeah, fun. Yeah, you can debate these forever. It's, you know, it's, they're going to they're gonna do what they're going to do, but I, I just have my thoughts on them. Me too. Me too. Well, it'll be good. We're going to have a lot of fun and take it a couple of games, but I'm glad that, uh, listen, we look forward to having you when we actually create our baseball show probably in the next few weeks, so we're going to get this thing off the ground. We want you to be a part of it once in a while if you don't mind coming on. No, don't mind at all. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so anything, any final closing thoughts, Lewis? No, I mean, you know, listen to our show tonight, um, Sports Exchange on Spreaker, iTunes Podcasting Network, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we're doing, we're broadcasting from 8 to 11, and it'll be a good show. Tony, obviously, was always fun to talk to you. I love talking some Hall of Fame with you and Scott. Obviously, I, I know it's nice to have somebody who agrees with me about Bryce Harper. But, yeah, you know. It's okay. You know, I, again, I always love hearing new perspectives, so it was really, you know, I, I had been waiting for this really ever since I started. That's, the first phone conversation. fans, man. Everybody gets to have their opinions. Right. First yeah. conversation I ever had with Scott, he mentioned your name about 36 times, so I was excited yeah. ever since yeah, to get the opportunity yeah. to speak. He's giving me way too much credit. I helped him out when he was young. He took I, it from there. Oh, DeMarco, save it, man. <laughs> giving you way too much credit. I don't think I still ever give you enough credit. Please, man. Whatever. No, I don't know, but then Time again, you go. got to huh? wrap this show up. Well, we are. But meanwhile, Tony, thanks for being on the program, and I'll give you a call uh, really soon, and we can talk about when you come back on here uh, again. But meanwhile, it's been a pleasure spending an afternoon with you, Tony. So, yeah, my pleasure too, guys. All right, thank you very much, Tony. Have, have yourself a great rest of the day, and we'll talk soon. Okay, brother? Take care. All right. All right, looking forward uh-huh. to seeing Arizona. It'll come pretty quick, pal. Mark my word. Yes, it will. So looking forward to hanging out with you at the Stadium Club. So on behalf of Tony DeMarco for the Sports Exchange Special, this is Scott Morgan Roth of Motor City Manmouth along with the kid. Louis Adio Weiss. Have yourself a great Thursday, and we will talk again later. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Bye-bye. All right. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!